Blog Talk Radio. Well, we were supposed to have an introduction, and the music didn't play, so <laughs> that's, that's just our luck this morning. I'm just going to start. Virginia, give me a second here to read the intro to the show without the music, and we'll get started. Welcome to the Sunbury Press Book Show, sponsored by Sunbury Press, publisher of books to the trade under 11 different imprints, sold worldwide wherever books are sold. Today, we have author Virginia, Virginia, gosh, Victoria Sinkson. Uh, Virginia. Yeah, you got it right. <laughs> you know what? <laughs> I have on my sheet here. I don't know why, Virginia, but I have both names. And uh, that is not the first time this has happened. Uh, you know, I got called Victoria by a colleague for like half a year almost before I corrected them. <laughs> um, I actually like Victoria better. Maybe I'll switch. No, I think we'll go back to we'll go back to what we have printed on your books. So uh, <laughs> today we have author Virginia Sankson. Virginia Sankson has always enjoyed creating new worlds and characters and at some point started writing her ideas down. An art historian and museum director, she also writes about Japanese textiles. She lives in the Shenandoah Valley and enjoys finding inspiration through travel. For Sunbury Press, Virginia is the author of the dystopian cyberpunk series, the Genetics Chronicles, under our Milford House imprint. And that trilogy has within it the Titan Strain, the Osiris Contingency, and the Ragnarok Resolution. Virginia Sankson, welcome to the Sunbury Press Book Show. Thank you so much for having me. I'm happy to be here. Well, I must say that was probably the rockiest start to any of the shows <laughs> that I've had, in, like the last hundred or so. We've had we've had a couple where we've had to... Uh, to just say, all right, let's just do a second take on this. But I wasn't going to give up. <laughs> so I, th- you know, the I, music- I think it's, I, I think it's, it's Halloween. the spirit of 2020. You know, it's yeah. Halloween. It's 2020. I mean, it, we we just roll with the punches at this point. Yeah, you know, and it's like a lot of people who, I guess, who are reading from a teleprompter when they're <laughs> when they're on air. <laughs> Your name came up wrong, and I read it. <laughs> and I like, I know that's not right. That's why I stopped. <laughs> but guess who wrote? No, <laughs> who wrote the document you got, for the teleprompter? Well, you got yeah. my last name beautifully, which is, a, you know, like a bad Scrabble hand. So I, I tip my hat to you. <laughs> all right. Well. Okay. Well, all that's now in the past, and we'll get back to. Uh, <laughs> what, what we wanted to do was to have a wonderful interview with you this morning. <laughs> and I look at your uh, your background, art historian, museum director, Japanese textiles, and you're writing cyberpunk, dystopian cyberpunk. <laughs> so maybe you could tell me how that happened. Yeah, you know, I think I definitely have a serious side and um, a, a creative side, Um I've always loved sci-fi. I've always been a huge fan of sci-fi books and movies. Um, But I had a wonderful experience of moving to Japan where I fell in love with the material culture. So that definitely was the career path. And sci-fi kind of became a stress release for me. So, you know, no matter 
how much I'm frustrated with doing research that has to be accurate. I can still retreat into worlds where anything is accurate if I say it is. Well, these books, uh, I know our editors have really taken to them. They really, really like the the world that you're, you've created. Maybe you can give us oh, a little bit of so a much. give us a little bit of a sort of the elevator speech on what this trilogy is about. <laughs> Sure. So this series is set in a future dystopian London after the Third World War. Um, It's a place of surveillance, control, repression, and there is a very powerful government um, who sits at the very top. And the government maintains control by using the agency, which is a black ops group of assassins who are genetically superior. They've been recruited and trained from childhood. And the main enemy of the government are genetically modified humans called mods. And Leanne is one of these agents who is supposed to be fighting the mods. And she ends up developing um, a kinship with them and a friendship. And when mods start turning up murdered throughout the city, she teams up with a young police officer and they go to work trying to figure out who is behind the murders and what it has to do with the next step in genetic modification, which is called the Titan strain. Well, you're, uh, the way you painted a view of the world that this is set in, Sounds like a path we're already on. You know, when I <laughs> God, I hope not. <laughs> yeah, well, and yeah, I, I don't. Kind of, even if you yeah, peel like back the pandemic, into the future. Yeah. yeah. But what I mean is the control. I know there's been a lot in the, mm. in the news lately about censorship and about yeah. uh, social media and the control they can have on on mm-hmm. what gets. You know, even what gets boosted in a search or what gets presented on social media. And uh, it's really interesting to, I mean, it's very Orwellian, the world that you're, mm-hmm. you're imagining. Mm-hmm. So uh, Absolutely. And, and you ask kind of the overlap with art history. And I've done several projects having to do with propaganda at different points in history. And a lot of art is propaganda. Um, So I've always been interested in kind of how the visual arts help maintain control or plant ideas in people's heads. So I I think that might be one of the links between the two. Yeah. Well, I know as somebody, I've been in IT for over 30 years, and I always thought as a young person in IT that I was doing things that made the world better, you know, by Mm. making us more efficient and providing applications that made your life easier, that gave you uh, new capabilities. Mm-hmm. And I, I'm wondering yeah. if we haven't crossed a threshold now where like the technology uh, has so many dark, uh, unintended consequences. Mm-hmm. It seems like you've captured yeah. that in your novels. Definitely something that I think about a lot, you know, how much technology and our use of social media and kind of living our lives behind screens um, affects us. So that's certainly an anxiety that kind of permeates this series as well. So what kind of social media do your characters tap into or are we beyond (laughs) that at that point? There, we're beyond that at that point, and, uh, you know, agents aren't supposed to have relationships outside of their handler. That is the only 
relationship that is permitted to them, and it is very much about who is controlling and who is being controlled. So Leanne doesn't have a social media account. I don't think she would be into that. I think she would think Instagram is kind of a waste of time. Um, Seth, the (laughs) police officer, who is like the one normal person throughout this entire series, um, I think he would be all over social media, probably posting pictures of food and dogs and things like that. (laughs) Oh, so there's no TikTok in your world. (laughs) You know, it's dystopian, but not quite that dystopian yet. (laughs) Okay. I was going to say, thank God. All right. (laughs) Well, getting into the, you know, it's called the genetics chronicles. And I know we're getting into Mm -hmm. uh, DNA here, genetics and genetic manipulation, genetic modification. Um, Where, where did you do your research on that? And, you know, what inspired you to, to think along those lines? I've always been interested in kind of transformative humans, you know, grew up with fairy tales where werewolves and vampires and uh, zombies are woven into almost every story. Um, So this concept of humans becoming other um, and more powerful, but also more dangerous has always interested me. Um, And when I started writing this, which was a while ago at this point, um, you know, the whole debate over GMOs was really hot. Um, You know, the Human Genome Project, um, I believe it had just started or was ongoing. So hearing about this advanced understanding and fear of genetically modified things made me think about what genetically modified humans could do, both good and bad. So it started out as a short story and um, did not end up being a short story. It ended up being a trilogy instead. Yeah. And I think that that's wonderful that, that you could go that, that far and deep with it. Mm-hmm. I think uh, it also helps with fiction to to have multiple books in a series or related to mm-hmm. one another. You can hopefully build a fan base with it. Um, yeah. Looking at this a little, I certainly yeah. hope so. Yeah, I know we're not there yet, so I kind of said that with a smirk that you can't see <laughs> since, because we're only audio. <laughs> right. But, uh, getting back to the genetic modification, uh, you know, I think it's interesting and. Knowing a little bit about history, one of the hor- horrible things about the 40s, the 1940s and the Nazis was mm-hmm. the, the genetic uh, control that they wanted to implement. And that was before oh, they yeah. really knew about DNA and all that. They were, mm-hmm. they were doing it more um, uh, somewhat scientifically, they thought, but still, you know, it, they had it, certainly an evil purpose to it. Oh, absolutely. Mm -hmm. We we come along where DNA is discovered and the human genome, and then there's all this this period of and uh, Mm -hmm. that that maybe diseases can be cured, maybe people can live forever, or or all these wonderful (laughs) things could happen. Uh And then you you start to think about, well, yeah, you could flip those uh, proteins a different way and get a completely different result. Mm -hmm. And, And I have to wonder. Now you've gotten this. You've got this fictional tale about human modification to make them superior. Mm-hmm. It makes you wonder if it's really going on in certain places around the world. <laughs> Conspiracy theorists would certainly think so. Um, yeah, and it's 
it's funny you mentioned kind of, you know, humans becoming superior. So when we, we come to book three, which was just released, and uh, one of the characters pondering that, oh, you know, we can make these, you know, agents superior, but, you know, the really downside is they still have free will. So we've got to fix that with the next, um, with the next advancement. So, yeah, there's certainly always a potential for uh, scientific experimentation to go horribly wrong in the hands of the wrong people. For sure. So would you say your, your three books are really a hopeful tale about the future or are they a warning or both? Hmm. You know, I see them as being hopeful. Um, I think the ending is bittersweet, um, but still with that, that thread of hope for the future and hope for uh, reconciliation, kind of healing this wasteland, ruined world um, through humanity. So I, I'm certainly hopeful about the future, um, despite 2020. Um, and I think the, the characters are hopeful about the future of their world as well. So you're, uh, as a backdrop, you mentioned World War III. Oh, mm-hmm. man, I can't, can't even imagine a third world war. Uh, in your, <laughs> in your, uh, your stories, what occurred in World War Three? Was it a nuclear war? Was it biological? Was it was it more of like a a terrorism war? What what happened to society? So, yeah, we we touch on this very very briefly in book two, the Osiris contingency, and this is long after the war. I believe it's set twelve years after the end of the war, and the implication is that this war has gone on for you know a decade at that point. So the conflict is somewhat in the past, um, but in book two, there is a character reading a history of the Third World War. Um, Leanne is reading it, and she hasn't has never learned about why it happened. She wasn't supposed to know why. She was just supposed to, you know, accept what she was told and work to protect the future. So. I believe that what I said it started with was, uh, I think it was high-profile assassinations, uh, social media wars between world leaders, and there's something called poison panic mentioned that um, United States senators and congressmen were being uh, sent poison, kind of running off of past anthrax scares. So it. It has multiple, I think, points of uh, disruption, which always seems to be the case. You know, it's not quite as black and white, cut and dry as, uh, you know, childhood books would have us believe. Yeah. Well, I have to ask you as well, if you if you had read Orwell's 1984. Oh, gosh, yes. <laughs> yeah, okay. I think I read that in high school, and obviously it made a huge impression. Um, yeah, Big Brother is Watching You was definitely of interest. Um, yeah, dystopia has always interested me as a genre, um, and I've definitely consumed my fair share of it. You know, I was looking at Orwell uh, and his work not too long ago, and I thought, mm. wow, I think he wrote 1984 in the late forties, early fifties, if I'm not mistaken. Mm-hmm. I don't know the exact mm-hmm. year, but just think about that and think about what he yeah. 
what he forecasted, what he predicted. Mm-hmm. And uh, we're yeah. not quite we're not well, quite there, but you can kind of see hints of. I mean, it's possible. It certainly is. Right. And in some countries, some yeah. countries it, it already is. And it, it's gosh, it's been a hot second since I read 1984, which is sad. I should go back and reread it. Um, but I believe in that book, he he talked about kind of your devices watching you. Like, weren't the TVs constantly watching? Like, you had to keep it on, and it was constantly watching the occupants of whatever residence it was in, which kind yeah. of predicts how smartphones are always following exactly. us and listening into what we're saying. Yeah. yeah. And it sort of had a uh, almost like a steampunk kind of you know, the, the imagining mm-hmm. of the technology and what it would be like in 50, 40 years, 30, 40 years. Mm-hmm. You know, he, he kind of missed that a little bit, but the premise certainly was there and the use for it was spot on. Right. So, yeah, I don't know if it would be termed, you know, cyberpunk necessarily, but it certainly touches on kind of the dark uses of technology, which threads through a lot of cyberpunk novels. Yeah, yeah. I have to ask you too now, because Orwell, being British, your series mm-hmm. set in London. You know, so mm-hmm. why did you choose London? I, you, I know you say you've traveled a lot. Maybe it's your favorite city. It's it, I, I love London. I'm going to preface this. It's not my favorite city in the world, but I do love it an awfully lot. Um, when I was thinking about settings and kind of what would be the most shocking, ruined city I could think of, my mind immediately went to London because of all of the pictures I had seen about the Blitz and just, you know, people – going about their daily lives on top of rubble on streets that I had actually walked. So I I think that that probably strongly influenced why London was chosen as a setting. Um, And I also think as Americans, we think of London as being a very civilized place. So I liked the juxtaposition of a lot of uncivilized behavior occurring uh, in this place that we think is so posh. (laughs) Okay. So it's not like a, Planet of the Apes scene where you see the Statue of Liberty <laughs> sticking out of the sand. <laughs> Instead well, and, it's Big Ben of, or St. Paul's or uh, right. yeah, yeah double-decker well, bus. Of, at the time I started writing it, there were a lot of dystopian uh, novels kind of after, after the fall set in America, like um, – Boy, Hunger Games had just come out and Divergent had come out, which is set in Chicago. So I wanted to do something that was slightly different from that. Um, And it's a little bit more challenging to write about a culture that's not your own. So I enjoyed that research aspect of it. So you you mentioned in your bio that you'd like to travel. Give us a sense Mm -hmm. of that. Where have you been? What, what are some of your favorite yeah, spots? Yeah, used to like used to like to travel before COVID um, yeah. this year, right? Um, so I really love spending time in Japan. That's probably where my favorite cities are. Um, I lived there for about two years and really love the culture. It's one I feel very connected with and very comfortable in. So um, try to visit there, you know, at least every other year or so just to kind of get my fix of the food and the places that I love and get to spend time with the people. 
Um, I love going to Europe. Uh, most recently, I went to Scotland and Northern Ireland, and that was absolutely incredible. I highly recommend both places. Um, I haven't traveled that much in the U.S., which is sad. I should do more traveling because we're so big and so varied that I should explore more um, in my own country. You know, I've I've traveled a bit too. I, I don't want to sound mm-hmm. like I'm bragging or anything, but one one of the things, like yeah. you, I I haven't seen enough of our own country, and just mm-hmm. uh, a couple months ago, my daughter got a job in Pueblo, Colorado as a teacher. She just graduated from college. And I thought, kudos Mm -hmm. to you, kid. You got a job during COVID. Way to go. Like, who's getting a job? (laughs) But she said, Dad, I want to take my VW bug with me. I want you to help me move out to Colorado. And I'm like, okay. Oh, my gosh. So we looked at different ways of doing it. And I thought, well, we could both drive or you know, mm-hmm. anyway, we settled on a U-Haul trailer for her car. We loaded up my pickup truck and we hauled it for, I guess it was 1,700 miles. She and I drove together across oh, the country. Gosh. What a That's great intense. thing for a, for a father and daughter to do. And we actually got along, which we weren't oh, expecting awesome. to. <laughs> we weren't expecting to. <laughs> but my point is, there, we went through parts of the country that I, I normally wouldn't have, you know, put on my mm-hmm. list to go visit. And uh, especially mm-hmm. Kansas. And I'm going to put in a plug for Kansas. Mm. Kansas is a spot <laughs> I would have never thought of, but we stopped at the uh, Wizard of Oz Museum along the way. And oh, on the, fun. <laughs> had some fun there. But I was amazed with the scenery in Kansas. So, as somebody from the East Coast, from Pennsylvania, mm-hmm. with my rivers and hills and trees, to suddenly be out on this flat, just totally flat landscape with yes. just fields I, of grain or cattle. It was just bizarre for me. It just stunned my brain. It feels brain. like you're on the moon, doesn't it? It feels like you're on another planet. I, I feel exactly the same way. You know, I'm East Coast bred and spent much of my life here. Um, but I worked out in California for a time in the San Joaquin Valley, and it was the same thing. It was just very, very flat, which I had never experienced before. And it was kind of disorienting when you didn't yes. have mountains and um, other landscape uh, forms around you. Yes, definitely. And, and of course, as we got closer to Colorado, it started to get drier and then started to get mm-hmm. some rolling hills. But it was uh, a striking experience. And on the way back, I was all alone. I stopped uh, at, a, at a spot that was uh, a Native American site. And there was a monument mm-hmm. there up on a hill. So that was like the only mm-hmm. hill for miles. So I got up on that and looked around. Wow. And I thought, what a great view. What a beautiful state. Yeah. I'd never appreciated it before. So kudos to Kansas. Mm-hmm. <laughs> anyway. I, I think we're going to all be a little bit more appreciative of uh, different types of scenery after this year. Um, I know that I've planned at least seven trips that I want to do uh, during this year of no travel. So, yeah, I, uh, maybe that's the silver lining of it all. We won't quite take our uh, environs and activities for granted. Well, listen, we have about five minutes, and I'm I'm curious about a couple things. I wanted to ask you more about yes. Art Historian, and then I wanted to ask mm-hmm. you about anything you're writing. So maybe we could get those sure. two things in. What does an art historian do, and what specifically, what kind of art are you into? 
Well, I'm a director of a university museum. Um, it's a, a small museum in terms of staff. I'm part of a large institution, but um, I have a lot of responsibilities as far as collections, care, exhibitions, um, managing our intern program. So it's kind of cliche, but every single day is different. Um, it tends to be cyclical based on where we are in exhibition planning. So exhibitions take about three to five years to plan properly. So we're constantly working on things far in advance, but there are also day-to-day -day activities that we have to do. Um, right now, we are rehousing and recataloging uh, 35,000 objects. So that is taking up the majority of my time. Wow. Well, yeah, I, uh, as far as no, go ahead. I was just going to say, as far as specialties, you know, Japanese text, textiles are what I have published in, and Japanese art is my area of specialization. So that is what I get most excited about. But I also really love learning new things, and I love learning about new cultures and new forms of visual arts. So it's all fun, just in different ways. Yeah, for uh, for a while I tried to rescue our local art gallery from demise mm. a couple of years ago uh. and put a lot of time and effort and energy into it, ran it. I'm more of a business person, but love art, collect art myself. Mm -hmm. And I learned a lot about running a for-profit for gallery and about handling art, dealing yeah. with art, or dealing with artists um, and so on. Mm -hmm. Uh, quite a quite an experience. So I have an appreciation for what you're doing, but yours is more academic. <laughs> it's certainly much more higher scale and uh, thoughtful and well planned. In our case, you know, we're worried about surviving this month and next month. So, you know, next sure. month's exhibition might change. <laughs> but, <laughs> Yep. Yeah. And, you know, a lot of museums are going to change in the future as a result of the pandemic. I'm already seeing seismic shifts and kind of how programming and exhibition planning is going. There's going to be a lot more digital uh, content that is produced. So that is what I am trying to get a handle on right now, like how we can reach visitors when they're not physically able to access our space and our objects. Yeah. Yeah, got it. Very important. All right, we have just a couple <laughs> minutes. <laughs> I can't believe the half hour is gone already. Um, I know, it's flown by. The Genetics Chronicles, they're in the bank, written, done, out in the marketplace. Yeah. What are you working <laughs> on now? Anything new? So, well, I I am, I, I do have an idea that is started that I definitely am going to see to completion, which is an adventure fantasy um, featuring a lot of travel in a time where I cannot travel. Uh, but I think for right now, I'm going to take some time off and actually do some reading. I have a library in my house where I am sitting right now, and there is a very intimidating pile of to-be-read books that are over in the corner, and it's ridiculously high. It's over my knees. So I need to spend some time just getting through the things that I have here because I feel like such a fraud. I haven't read half of the books in my library. Yeah. Yeah. It's funny. People ask me, have you read this? Have you read that? I'm like, yeah, I have that in my library, <laughs> but no, I haven't read uh -huh. it yet. 
<laughs> yeah, and and I don't know if you notice the same thing, but when I'm reading and writing, I find that my tone will shift slightly if I switch books or if I finish one. Um, so I find it better for me just to not read while I'm writing, um, just just so I can keep my voice my own. Yeah, that makes sense. Definitely. Mm-hmm. Well, Virginia, we are out of time. It's been great having you. Thank you so Look, much. This has been a pleasure. Looking forward to the Genetics Chronicles becoming bestsellers. So while uh, <laughs> Me too. while you're taking while you're taking your your lull, we're going to be pushing those and hopefully get some activity from them and some great reviews and lots of sales. Fantastic. This has been the Sunbury Press Book Show on the BookSpeak Network. Be sure to check out our books at www.sunburypress.com or search for our titles on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and other booksellers worldwide. If you enjoyed this podcast, there are hundreds more available on the BookSpeak Network. You can find our channel on blogtalkradio.com. Thank you for (laughs) listening.